Well, it was one of the biggest weeks in Gonzaga basketball history last week with the return of Drew Timmy, Julian Strother, and Rasir Bolton, as well as the addition of transfer guard Malachi Smith. Today's show is all about how the heck Mark Few is going to find minutes for all of those guys, as well as a handful of other topics here on Mailbag Monday, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day as well as those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. We are very close to 700 subscribers on our YouTube channel, trying to get to 1,000 before the start of the next basketball season. I know we can get there. If you are listening to the show and you have not done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked on Zags, and hit that subscribe button. All right, tons and tons of questions here for Mailbag Monday. We are going to get right into it. This first question is kind of... Basically, everybody's question just phrased a little bit differently. It comes from Dad Risk. He says, who's not going to play as much as they'd like? We know out of that top nine, there's going to be one or two guys who aren't getting the minutes they want. My vote is probably Reed followed by Harris, especially come late in the year when Few inevitably tightens the rotation. Yeah, this is the big question right now. The Zags have... Last year, we were worried in the offseason, like, how are they going to find minutes for all these guys? Of course, Caden Perry's injury and Dominic Harris' injury kind of helped. I don't want to say helped because having less available players is bad, but it definitely helped ease that kind of burden on Coach Few. But this year's team is even more deep. There's nine guys who who pretty much have to play if they are healthy, and those nine guys, that's not including Ben Gregg, that's not including Caden Perry, that's not including Braden Huff, the new incomer for this upcoming season, that's not including Baba Miller, who as of right now, as I'm recording this, has not committed to Gonzaga. It's unclear if he's going to choose the Zags or Florida State, but even if he comes to Gonzaga, he doesn't count in that top nine. This is going to be one of the biggest challenges of Mark Few's career is figuring out how to keep all these guys happy, how to keep them all in the rotation, how to figure out what lineups work best, work worst against certain teams and certain matchups. There's going to be a lot of tinkering, I expect, from Coach Few this year. He hasn't done a lot of tinkering in the past. It's been a criticism of his to kind of set it and forget it and not not change things too much. I think he's going to have to be willing to make some adaptations this year. Uh, in terms of this specific question, I'd be pretty surprised if Efton Reed gets bumped out of a lot of playing time. Yeah, there's a lot of guys up front, uh, and he's going to certainly be behind Drew Timmy for playing time. And if the predictions that I'm making and a lot of other people come true that involves Julian Strother playing a lot of minutes at the four, that does present some challenges for Efton Reed, but I still think he's going to see the floor a lot. Uh, Dominic Harris is also a guy that I'm not sure where he's going to fit in, mostly because we just haven't seen him in a long time. I don't know that the other guards on this team are conclusively better than him. I'm not sure that that is the case. But right now, he's got some catching up to do. Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas played basically an entire, have now have 
a huge chunk of playing time more than him, almost an entire year, uh, and certainly all of last year when Dom wasn't on the floor. Malachi Smith, Rasir Bolton, those guys are both going to likely play over Dom as well. But again, Dom's very talented. He could play his way into some more minutes as the year goes on. It's going to be a big challenge for Mark Field. Next question comes from Josh Edits on Twitter, who says, What does adding Smith mean for Hickman, Harris, and Salas? We need Harris's defense, right? Hickman showed point guard poise, but was an offensive non-factor down the stretch, and we don't know what Harris can do. Will some or all be okay taking a back seat, or will Few finally lengthen the bench? Even if Few lengthens the bench, it, these guys are going to have to take a back seat. So the, those, I don't think that those two ideas are in opposition of each other. Guys aren't going to play as much as they thought they were going to play. Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas probably did not expect both Bolton and Strother to come back and Malachi Smith to join the team. And, of course, Dominic Harris to be healthy. All That's a lot of players all of a sudden in that backcourt. Now, some of that's going to spill over into the front court potentially if Strother plays some more minutes at the four, which is what we're expecting. And then we'll see a lot more three-guard lineups with, you know, Bolton and Smith and one of Hickman or Salas or Dom all on the floor at the same time. But at the end of the day, some guys are just going to play less. There's just no other way to get around it. I I, I don't think none of these guys are going to play 30 minutes a night. I just don't see how that's going to shake out. Obviously, we're months and months away from the season. There could be more roster changes coming. There could be injuries. There could be things like that 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 alter this equation. But right now, it looks like it's going to be pretty tough to get consistent playing time in the backcourt at Gonzaga. In terms of Dom's defense, which was mentioned in this question, uh, yes, he's a great defensive player, and I think they could use it, but I don't think that they need it. Uh, Rasir Bolton was an an adequate to above-average defensive player last year. Julian Strother is a good defensive player. Hunter Salas is an excellent player defensive player. Nolan Hickman was fine on that end of the floor. Anton Watson, I know he plays a different position, but he's an outstanding defensive player. I don't think that this team is so defensive starved that Dom is going to get playing time specifically because of that. Again, I think Dom could very easily play his way into the rotation. I just don't think that the defense for the other guards is so bad that he's going to get playing time because of that. Next question comes from Rob DeLay, at Rob DeLay on Twitter, who says, Thoughts on Baba Miller's recruitment? I assume he was a backup option in case Strother stayed in the draft, but is there any possibility the staff finds a way to get him in the fold as well, given we don't have any available scholarships remaining? So this is the big question. The Zags obviously secured all three of the returners in Bolton, Strother, and Timmy. They also secured Malachi Smith out of Chattanooga via the transfer portal. That solidified the amount of scholarships available on this roster. 13 out of 13 scholarships have been awarded to players right now. So if Baba Miller were to come to Gonzaga, the expectation is that he would, of course, be taking up a scholarship spot. So what does that mean? I think the staff has a contingency plan. I don't know what that contingency plan is. I don't know if we will hear what said contingency plan is. But if this, if the staff wasn't going to offer a scholarship to Baba Miller, he would have committed to Florida State already. As I'm recording this right now on Sunday afternoon, Baba Miller is planning to make his announcement on Monday, saying whether he is coming to Gonzaga or Florida State. By the time you're listening to this, this question might be moot. Maybe he's already made a decision. Maybe he's not coming to Spokane, in which case it's a wash. But I don't believe that that decision will be made because Gonzaga is not offering him a scholarship. They have a plan on how they would get Baba Miller onto campus, how they would get his scholarship paid for. 
What that plan is, again, I don't know. I'm not sure we'll ever know. They might try to very quietly finagle some things around, but because of NIL, they have the ability to do so. They have the ability to remove somebody from scholarship and find another way to pay for them academically to go to school. I don't think they're going to kick anybody off the team. I don't think they're just going to tell somebody they have to pay their own way. That sets an extremely dangerous precedent that I don't think they want to do. I can't imagine the the backlash if they were to say, kick Martina Sarlauskas off scholarship because he would probably not be able to afford to go to school and would either have to leave and go back to his home country. And that would, that would decimate their ability to internationally recruit. I mean, it would crush it. If they were to do that same thing with Ben Gregor, Caden Perry, that really hurts them domestically recruiting wise as well. It's not worth the headache to attempt to do that. So what they're going to do to get Baba Miller here, should he want to come to Gonzaga, I, I don't know. I'm not going to offer any specific guesses because I don't really know. But I think that the fact that he's still considering Gonzaga means they do have a plan. And it has been communicated to him that, hey, if you want to come to Spokane, we're going to, we're going to make it work. You're going to have a spot on this roster. So by the time you're listening to this, maybe this has already been solved. But if not, keep your fingers crossed. And I don't think we can rule out Baba coming to Spokane, even though the scholarship stuff is up in the air. Next question comes from Tom via Twitter DM. Tom says, with all the dudes returning and the depth, should Mark Few take a page out of Nolan Richardson and commit to full court pressing and 40 minutes of hell? This could help in preventing teams from slowing tempo. The Zags have fouls to give across the board. Few, of course, has been very successful, but it might be time to learn a new trick. So yeah, I kind of like this. I like this concept a lot. Nolan Richardson, of course, the famous coach at Arkansas who ran these intense full court presses throughout the games. Uh, I don't think the Zags are going to do this. I don't think Mark Few is going to change things very dramatically. He has made adjustments throughout his career. I think sometimes we lean too far, myself included, uh, of, of assuming that he's very rigid in the way that he operates. And that's not true. He has been willing to expand his rotation in previous seasons. Uh, the 12-13 team that was number one in the country played a 10-man rotation. He used to be very rigid of not going out in transition, and then now they're the fastest-paced team in the country. So he is willing to make some adjustments. I don't think they're going to do this, but I also wouldn't hate it if they attempted to do it at least more often. I think if they get a lineup out there that has Anton Watson, let's say it's Efton Reed, Anton Watson, Strother, Salas, and either any of the point guards, Dom or Hickman or Smith. I think that a lineup like that with Salas and Anton and Reed, you could do some really serious pressing. You could just do some hell-raising style of defense. And yeah, you might give up some fouls. And yeah, you might give up some fast break points. And yeah, your guys are going to be wiped after one six or seven minute stretch of time. But then look who you still got on the bench. In this hypothetical lineup, you would still have Drew Timmy available. You would still have Rasir Bolton available. You would still have a couple other guards available off the bench as well. Like, I think they could do that. I am not confident that Mark View is going to make this dramatic of a change. But I think in spurts, I would absolutely love to see this. I think it would be very, very fun. Final question of the segment comes from MDZag75 on Twitter, who says... Where do you think Ben Gregg fits in? Yeah, frankly, I don't see a path to playing time for Ben Gregg this year. Uh, I think he's pretty clearly behind Drew Timmy, Efton Reed, and Anton Watson. I don't think that there's a shred of debate that he is at best, at best, the fourth big out of that group. And that's not including Julian Strother, who, as I've said on the show in previous episodes and already today, I think he's going to play a lot of minutes at the four because the backcourt is so rich with talent that they're going to need to play three guards pretty regularly like they did during the 2020-2021 season 
where they're going to need to play three guards. They're going to need to play one of their wings as a forward, like they did with Corey Kispert, like they will probably do with Strother. So if Strother's playing a lot of his minutes at the four, that means that Drew Timmy, Efton Reed, and Anton Watson are pretty much trying to split all of the other remaining minutes between the four and the five spot. That does not leave a lot of room for Ben Gregg. Beyond that, I'm not sure Ben Gregg is ahead of Caden Perry on the depth chart if Caden Perry is healthy. Of course, that is a, a pretty significant question right now that is not answered. I also am not incredibly confident that Ben Gregg would even be ahead of Braden Huff if both of those players were to be on scholarship and playing, not redshirting, which is also a possibility that one or both of those guys end up taking redshirts because they're not going to play this season. But I I feel bad. I like Ben Gregg. I think he's a good kid. I think he's got some potential. I think we saw some growth at times last year, but he's going to enter what is officially his second collegiate season, although he spent half of his senior season of high school on the bench for Gonzaga as well. He's going to enter this year without a clear role at all. And, and, And that's Tough. That's kind of the business of, of Gonzaga athletics at this point, specifically Gonzaga basketball, with how talented they are and the ability to, to quickly replenish areas of, of need on the roster. But I, I don't see much of a role at all for Ben Gregg this year. I already got more listeners submitted questions to answer in the second segment. We're talking more lineups. We're talking red shirts. We're talking about this team's biggest weakness. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Ben Online. The 2022 NCAA tournament is in the books with a win secured by Bill Self and the Jayhawks of Kansas. While the Zags unfortunately fell short of the game's pinnacle week, that does not mean fans cannot remain in on the action. BetOnline is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zach's. We have an important favor to ask you. We've been putting together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcasts even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thank you for your help. All right, getting back into Mailbag Monday right away. This next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. What is your biggest worry about this team? Rim protection. It's honestly, it's pretty simple. It's rim protection. It's the same issue that plagued the 2020-2021 team. Of course, the year before Chet Holmgren stepped on campus, that team ran a lineup with three guards, Corey Kispert at the four and Drew Timmy at the five. Anton Watson was the primary backup big. That's pretty much the same situation that this year's team is going to find itself in with, of course, Strother replacing Kispert. Neither of those guys are rim protectors, not even close. No disrespect to either of them. That's just not a part of their game. Anton Watson, not a rim protector, great defensive player, not a rim protector. It's just not a part of his game either. 
Caden Perry is probably the best true rim protector on the roster currently, but he is not going to be a part of the rotation, and we're also not sure the status of his health. Drew Timmy is better as a rim protector than people give him credit for. Most of his defensive challenges are away from the basket, but he's still not like an elite shot blocker. He's not... He hasn't been that. He's not going to be that. That's just not really a part of his game. So rim protection, I don't think the rebounding is going to be a huge issue. I think Efton Reed is probably the most capable rim protector that is going to be in the rotation. But again, it's not a huge strength of his either. I think the team's good defensively, and I think they're good rebounding-wise. But against teams that can get to the rim successfully, Chet Holmgren's ability to erase some of those shots is not going to be on this year's roster. And I think that that's going to present some problems at times. Next question comes from Chuck via Gmail. Chuck says, have you heard anything about players returning to college because they weren't sure if they would be drafted and did not want to go to Europe because of the war? So the short answer is no, but I would not be surprised if it was in some ways a factor. Of course, one of the more notable stories that came out uh, for with regards to Gonzaga and this is, is Kevin Pangos, who was cut by the Cleveland Cavaliers during last year's NBA season and signed on to a deal to play in Russia right as they were invading the country of Ukraine. Of course, that contract was voided. He never reported to Russia. He has remained in the United States since then, looking presumably for his next professional playing opportunity. And he he has got, he signed it. He signed a contract. Excuse me, I should have clarified. He signed a contract overseas and is going to start playing there next season. But he never ended up reporting to Russia. I do think there are probably some players out there who are less likely to go to Europe, maybe because of the war, maybe because of the impact that COVID had and, and how scary it was to to not feel like you could return back to your home country. These players didn't experience that necessarily, but I could see why that might scare some people in ways that it didn't previously. For Gonzaga's players, Drew Timmy and Julian Strother, I think, would have played domestically. I think Strother would have gotten drafted or at least signed a two-way contract. I think Drew Timmy would have played domestically as well, either in the G League or potentially as a backup in the NBA. So I don't think that was a factor for them. Perhaps it was a factor for Bolton. It has not been specified. I don't think he's going to come out and say any of that necessarily. Uh, but the overall question, I think it's it's probably on some level a factor for a, a contingency of the population who decided to return to college this year. Next question comes from Brandon, who also wanted to be called White Chocolate. Uh, he said, just a fun hypothetical for next season. Which Zag will lead in three-point shooting percentage? And which Zag will lead in total threes made? I love this question. I thought a lot about it. I'm guessing my answer will change as the offseason goes on if I were to be asked this again. Uh, I feel fairly confident in saying that Julian Strother will lead in total threes made. I think he's going to hack up quite a few of them this year. I think he's going to be Gonzaga's second option offensively behind Drew Timmy. So I think he's going to get a lot of looks for three. I think he's going to shoot well. He shot 39% last year, just under 39% last year. I think he's going to approach 40% this season. So I think there's a very realistic chance that he is the leader in threes made. In terms of percentage, I think there are a couple options. You could try to get weird and say that it's going to be one of the walk-ons or that it's going to be somebody like Ben Gregg who might not attempt very many of them but is a solid outside shooter. I'm actually going to go with Malachi Smith, who I think has a very reasonable chance to also be the team's leader in three-pointers made. 
He shot 41% last year. He shot 39% the year before that at Chattanooga. We've seen a lot of players come to Gonzaga and have their percentages boost because they are not the focal point defensively. There's The offense just allows them to get more open looks. We saw it with Rasir Bolton, who went from 36% at Iowa State to 46% for Gonzaga last year. We saw it with Ryan Woolridge, who went from 32 to 42%. I don't think that Malachi Smith's going to jump from 41 to 51. That would be absolutely incredibly elite from Malachi Smith, but I think he could be in the low 40s again. Uh, but I do think Strother is going to take more attempts, and I think that their percentages is going to be close enough that Strother finishes with more total threes made. Next question comes from Matt via Twitter DM. Matt says, there seem to be a lot of similarities between this roster and the 2020-2021 roster, namely the athleticism, the speed, the pace, the shooters, and the lack of rim protection. Very, very true, Matt. Uh, Matt continues, he says, the 2021 team seemed to struggle with big physical guards. Is this team better set up to match up with big guard teams that have historically given Gonzaga problems? This is a great question, and I think a question that could very, very well determine how far this season goes for Gonzaga. This team is set up to once again challenge for a national championship again, but how they defend those those tough physical push you around opponents is is going to be a it's going to be a part of the story here for this team. I think the answer to this question I think is yes. I think this team is a little bit more equipped to do so, but it's hard to say. I have not seen a lot of Malachi Smith in action. I've seen clips of him. I've read every article that has been out there about him and his uh, his transfer to Gonzaga. I've listened to him in interviews. He's a great kid. He's going to be a very talented player, but I'm not sure how. This is This is an area that I don't think he's going to excel at. I, I don't think that he's going to come from Chattanooga to the WCC and be good enough to to dominate the really good physical guards that Gonzaga will play in the non-conference. I just don't think that's going to be an area of success for him. So it's going to fall on Hunter Salas and Dominic Harris and Nolan Hickman and, of course, Rasir Bolton, who, who handled it very well last year. He has years of experience dealing with very big, very physical guards, so he's not going to be a problem. Strother, I think, is playing enough of a forward position that I'm not sure it's going to really be an impact for him. So it's going to kind of come down to the two sophomores and Dom. And I, I, we just haven't seen enough of them to really be super confident either way. I think Salas is a is a freak athletically. I think he's extremely physical, tough-minded kid, and I think he's going to handle it really well. Dominic Harris has been labeled as the best defensive guard on this roster, or at least he was last year before he got hurt. I think he could handle it really well. Nolan Hickman, a little bit more of a question mark. I think he's very poised offensively. But so was Andrew Nempart, and he struggled with this area of his game. So I think it's possible no one will have some challenges there as well. Uh, so it's a little too early for me to fully answer this question, but I think that it's a very important question and one that will have a significant impact on how far Gonzaga goes this season. All right, final question of the second segment comes from Derek via Twitter DM. Derek says, Will the Zags utilize the redshirt year with one of their scholarship players, Braden Huff maybe, possibly Caden Perry, to give him another year to recover? Seems like the redshirt isn't wise, isn't as widely used as it was with scholarship freshmen a few years ago. Yeah, I think they're going to kind of have to redshirt one of the young bigs. I, again, they don't have to. They do not have to make a decision to do that. I think that they probably will. I don't see a clear path to playing time for any of these three guys. I, I kind of already mentioned that with the Ben Gregg question earlier. Ben Gregg, Caden Perry, Braden Huff. I 
I don't see a path to playing time for those guys. I really don't. Maybe one of them cracks into the rotation if I'm wrong about Strother playing a lot of minutes at the four and Strother plays more at the three. That could open up a spot for one of those guys to be like a pseudo rotation guy. But even then, last year's team had three bigs and they did not, the fourth big was either Greg or Perry and those guys just did not play at all. Mark Few was very content to run a three-big lineup last year. This year's team does not have a Chet Holmgren, but if Efton Reed's going to play 25 minutes per night, if Drew Timmy's going to play 30 per night, if Anton Watson's going to play 25 to 30 per night, that's, I mean, that, that's a lot of minutes right there just between those three guys. So I would guess it would be Braden Huff would get the redshirt assignment uh, unless they feel he's, he's much more equipped to help this team right away and they opt to put Ben Gregg on a red shirt. Or again, Caden Perry's health is a big question as well. If he's not healthy to start the year, it might be a pretty easy decision to just let him do that as well. In terms of red shirts being used less, the COVID stuff really threw it off. Everybody getting an extra year of eligibility and also getting the ability to transfer right away has meant that way less teams are utilizing red shirts for their guys. They just don't have to. Those guys are not losing a year of eligibility. Uh, and if they redshirt players who are willing to play. I think there's more, a higher likelihood that those players will choose to transfer. So I think we're just seeing teams do it a lot less. But I think this year's roster, they're going to have to make some tough decisions. And that could potentially include redshirting at least one, maybe more guys on this year's roster. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to answer even more listener submitted questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. Summer is coming. And with the summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations. Throw them in your bags, in your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everybody has a bar so you are fueled for your summer adventures. The best part about Built Bars, they're healthy and delicious. No more sacrificing delicious food for health. You can have both. Have you tried the Built Puffs yet? We're going crazy for the puffs. They come in crazy flavors like banana cream pie and even churro. Who doesn't want a protein bar that tastes like a churro? And they're only 140 calories. Sign me up. If that's not enough flavor for you, then you might want to try the Mixed Box. The Mixed Box comes with 12 flavors of bars and puffs. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go to Built.com to get all your favorites. Banana Cream Pie, Raspberry, Double Chocolate, and so many more. They are all delicious and new flavors are coming out all the time. Check them out at Built.com. In fact, go to Built.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment three. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zen. Still rolling through a busy week for Mailbag Monday. Love all of the questions this week. This next question here comes from Jacob Quarter 2, second one of the show for Jacob. He says, is this the deepest Gonzaga team in your memory? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question that I'm going to defer to the same answer I've used a handful of times today. I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure yet. We, we have, first of all, the roster's not finalized. As I said, I'm recording this before a decision has been made on Baba Miller. If Baba Miller were to come to Gonzaga, that would certainly help the argument that this team is the deepest team in recent memory. Uh, the health for Caden Perry is a big question mark as well. I don't expect Perry to be a part of the rotation, but if we're talking about overall depth on this roster, a healthy and available Caden Perry being the 10th or 11th or 12th guy on the roster makes a pretty significant difference. 
I have no reason to not assume that Dominic Harris is 100% healthy, but that is something that I would like to see a little bit more, see what he's capable of, how much he has matured and grown as a player since he was as a freshman. I assume he's going to come out and be very, very good. I do believe that. But until we see that, until we see what he looks like, until we see whether Baba Miller's on the roster, it's hard to say. I'll put it this way. If everybody's healthy and Baba Miller is here, it's really hard for me to imagine that this is not the deepest team that Gonzaga's ever had. It would be really hard to not speculate that that is the case. If Baba doesn't commit, if Perry's out for most of the year, still probably, or at least still right in that conversation, uh, the 16-17 team was really, really deep. They went to a national championship game with Rui Hachimura buried on the bench. That guy was a lottery pick a few years later. The 2020-2021 team was super, super deep as well. Heck, last year's team was super deep before the injuries. So I think it's close. I think that there's a very reasonable chance that by the end of the year, this team will be far, far and away the deepest team Gonzaga has ever had. But I'm not quite ready to crown them that here in the first few weeks of June. Next question comes from Dan Garrity at Prof Dan G on Twitter, everybody's favorite former journalism professor at Gonzaga. He says top three picks to transfer. And then he said, I find zero joy anticipating the answer. I hope this answer makes you feel a little bit better, Dan. Uh, I don't think anybody's transferring. I really don't. I At this point, any player who's transferring would have to sit out next year or apply for a waiver. The NCAA has been a little bit more lenient with these waivers than they used to be, and I think that a player feeling like they got completely squeezed out of playing time and wanting to transfer would potentially be a case that the NCAA would hear and allow the player to play right away. But having to go through that process and not knowing whether you're going to play right away or not is more incentive for players to not opt to transfer this offseason. So I, I just don't think anybody's leaving. I really don't. I think there are a lot of guys who are not going to play, as we've talked about already throughout this podcast, but I don't think anybody is leaving this offseason. If I had to guess, my top three picks to transfer, most likely to transfer, it would be Dominic Harris, Caden Perry, Nolan Hickman. I don't think any of them are leaving this year. I don't include Ben Gregg because he loves Gonzaga. He loves Spokane. This is where he's always wanted to play. I don't include Martinez or Lauskas because I think if he'd wanted to transfer, he would have done it already. Uh, so I picked those guys because I think they're more likely to want to explore other places where they would get more playing time. And all three of them could go to other very prominent programs and play more minutes. But I don't think any of them are leaving. Next question comes from Scott on Twitter. Scott says, can you talk about the similarities between this roster and Baylor's roster from a few years ago. So yeah, so this is a funny question to ask because I'm actually going to talk a lot about Baylor this week. We're going to have a guest. We're going to talk Baylor Bears. We're going to talk about the basketball programs. We're going to kind of compare some of the the last few years for each of these programs. So this is a question that will get answered in more depth later this week. Uh, But yeah, obviously both teams had extremely talented guards. If we're talking about Baylor's national championship team, uh, I mean, they were absolutely loaded in that backcourt with with all the depth that they had. They were very physical. I don't think Gonzaga's guards are going to be quite as physical uh, as Baylor's guards were that season. Uh, Certainly Mitchell was an absolute load to handle on the outside. Jared Butler, extremely talented player as well. I I don't think Gonzaga's going to be that physical from their guards. I think Gonzaga is more set up in the post. Again, Baylor had had a talented front court as well, but nobody quite like Drew Timmy. Very few players in college basketball like Drew Timmy, so having him back is going to be a big difference. Uh, and then the shooting, I, I think both teams have good, solid shooting as well. Uh, Gonzaga's is a little bit less proven. We got to see what Malachi Smith looks like at this level. We got to see if Rasir Bolton can kind of 
prove that last year's really high percentage wasn't a fluke. But if those two guys can shoot it really well this year, this team this team's gonna be really darn good. And that Baylor team was freakishly good as well. And I think there's there there are certainly some differences as well, but there are a lot of similarities at the same time. Final question of the show comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, so what are we going to make of what has been a pretty horrific performance by Gonzaga baseball and the NCAA regionals? So to be honest, I'm just happy for this team that they that they made a regional. They had a successful season. It was a bummer. For those who missed it, the season ended. Uh, as I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, it recently ended a few hours ago with a loss to Columbia. They went into the regional. It's a double elimination tournament. They lost to Columbia in the first game, which was a bit of a surprise. Columbia was a three seed. Gonzaga was a two seed. Fell in the first game and then nearly fell in the second game to Wright State, which would have been a pretty disappointing result. They managed to storm a really incredible comeback to beat Wright State and keep their hopes alive. They played Columbia again on Sunday and unfortunately fell in that game. It was not a good run for the Gonzaga baseball program in, in terms of performance on the field. They, they, they just didn't bring it maybe it was traveling, maybe it was just guys are gassed. It's hard pitching. You know, I mean, Gonzaga's pitching has been so good all season long that I think the wheels just came off a little bit. William Kempner gave up three earned runs all season. I think he gave up nine. I think he gave up nine against Wright State, the game that they won. Gabriel Hughes didn't have it on Friday against Columbia. It It was unfortunate to see the season end this way. Is it, d- does it make me feel more concerned about the program long-term, worried about the coaching staff, worrying about the players? None of that at all. None of that at all. I think they just they just ran into a, a bad stretch of baseball at a, at a really inopportune time. That's all that happened. This is the first time since 1974 that this team has won playoff games in back-to-back seasons. This is a monumental accomplishment for the Gonzaga baseball program, something they haven't done in 50 years and they're going to return a lot of talent next year. Yeah, they're going to lose Gabriel Hughes. He's going to be one of the top 20 players selected in the MLB draft. Fantastic for him. Looking forward to seeing his professional career take off. There are certainly other players that are going to lose either to graduation or to the transfer portal. But they're returning a lot of really talented dudes next year as well. This is going to be a great baseball program once again next season. Sad that it ended the way that it did this year. But I, I, I'm very excited about the future of Gonzaga baseball. All right, that is going to do it for me today. We got a lot more stuff coming up this week. We got a couple guests coming on the show for Tuesday and Wednesday's episode. We'll obviously keep our eyes peeled for the Baba Miller announcement as well. Tons of fun stuff after a really exciting week of Gonzaga basketball, all available here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA draft, mock drafts, player rankings, and of course, big boards. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!